0: Okay. It's great to be here. It was great to be at the edge. Do I have a remote up here? If I don't, it's fine. You're bringing it down, that's good. I ran down the hill, literally ran. (laughs) Greetings from Alberta, from Edmonton, midway between the Yukon and the US border, where I, I was preaching this week. So encouraging. And also, I want to thank those who took part in AIM this weekend, which was all about holiness. And spiritual life, prayer, managing our time, managing the resources God has given us. Tom Jones did a fantastic job on spirituality and suffering. Joey Harris' sermon on the mount—it was—it was just wonderful. You have today a, a, a few slides that we'll put up. Uh, for example, oh, is it the—is it this one? Yeah. So this is one. We're only looking at a couple of scriptures, but there is a handout that's been posted at the North River website, the blog area, or you can go to my website, and that'll have virtually every scripture I quote or allude to. And there, there are dozens, okay? So I'm hoping you'll look at that later on. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For subtle, I mean, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Today we're focusing on the pursuit of holiness. I I think I would be right in, in guessing that everyone either knows this verse, many by heart, or you've heard the phrase, the narrow road. most people I talk to outside Christianity will say something like this, well, you know, no one's perfect. Jesus didn't really mean that. He just meant we need to die, we need to, you know, improve. We need to do better. Right. So that's why they arrested him and crucified him, because he said, he told us what we all know, that we need to do a bit better. Who doesn't need to do better I mean, you know, raise your hand if you've already arrived. I mean, that would be such an insipid teaching. That's not what he says. He says, we need to stay on the narrow road. And this theme of the narrow road and the broad road is not just something Jesus made up. It runs through all 66 books of the Bible. Adam and Eve were tempted to get off of the narrow road, to disobey God's voice, and all the way from Genesis to Revelation— Psalm 1 talks about the way of the righteous. It's all over Proverbs. Once, actually, when I was working in Maryland, I, I did a whole sermon on the narrow road. Well, it, was, it, was, it, was on the, it wasn't today's message, quite different. But it was on the two roads, and we actually turned to all 66 books of the Bible. Yes, it took a little bit more than an hour, like an hour five or something. But no one went away thinking there's a third road. There are only two. But I, I'm going to challenge the, let's say, the common but never admitted interpretation of this passage. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't think we would actually say, say this, but might we think it? To get, a, get through the narrow gate, you have to repent and get baptized. You have to embrace discipleship. You've got to make Jesus Lord, but you've got to repent and get baptized. I was with a number of people in uh, Northern California last week. Not our church, but they were teaching exactly that, that thing. You've got to make, make disciples, oh, and they've got to get baptized, and then they, they need to make disciples. And if you're not making disciples, in what sense are you really a Christian? One of the speakers, who I've had a chance to meet a couple times, his name is Francis Chan. He said, 50% of you can quote the Great Commission. Only 1% of you are living it. It was challenging. So let me tell you what I think. Our institutional interpretation is this. You need to repent and get baptized and then be a member in good standing of the church. That is, come to the meetings, preferably midweeks too, and give money. If you do that, we won't bug you. Now I'm being a little bit unfair, but how does it actually play out in most churches? You have to become a Christian, and then they want you to be a member. And you can't, I mean, you can't be a member if you don't show up, because that's just lying. I go go to some place they say, we have 2,000 members. Why, Why are there only 500 today? Well, usually one quarter come. You lying pastor, you. They're not members. They may be members in something. The radical interpretation of this passage, which I think is, is more true to Jesus' spirit here, does, certainly does not rule out repentance and baptism and being part of church, and yes, I think you should come. It's really hard to be the church when we're not with other people. The radical interpretation is that this narrow road is not really about church membership at all. In the beautiful words of the prophet Isaiah, a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. fools will not go about on it. Against the institutional view, the biblical view requires us to be holy. In fact, it said in Hebrews 12, 14, didn't it? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Doug, you're a little extreme, you know. And, uh, you know, we all know that. And Jesus died. He was holy. So that released us from the law so we don't have to be holy. Really? Is that, is that what Jesus said? Did he, did he say, "Oh yeah, I'll be dying for you, so you can ignore Matthew 7:13. No actually, he warned us about the false prophets in Matthew 7:15 who try to talk us out of this, the ones who ultimately might be saying, "Lord, Lord." but it was a one-sided relationship. Because holy means dedicated, set apart, it means we're saints. That's actually one of the synonyms for Bibles in the New Testament. Did you know that? One of them is, is very similar to Matthew 7. It's the way. They call themselves the way, el camino. Think about this. They call themselves brothers. They call themselves friends. They call themselves believers, disciples. But a very common term is saints. Now, I, was brought up in a, I wasn't brought up in a church of Christ. I was brought up in a tradition this tradition, to be a saint, well, first you had to be dead, which didn't really make me want to be one, although I was somewhat attracted to the idea, dying for the faith, and you had to live a flawless life, or nearly flawless, and do a miracle. But if you read the New Testament, you'll see very quickly that holiness is for everyone, and in fact, it's not just that, that well, if you're in the top elite, 1% who are saints, you know, you know, you can intercede for us. It's that if you're not actually a saint, you're not even going to go to heaven at the end. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we have not resisted sin to the point of shedding blood, most of us. Am I holy then? I've got to ask that question of myself, and I beg you to ask it of yourself too. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really holy. Well, in what way are you a Christ follower if you're not passionate, passionate about the, the narrow road, the the way of holiness, the highway of holiness. Hmm. You see, the world is on the broad road. We just had an election. Some people got flustered. A couple states voted to legalize pot. What a massive surprise. My heart nearly stopped when I heard that. Several states said, yes, we want to legitimize gay marriage. Of course, preachers aren't supposed to talk about that because that could be a hate crime. Because if you disagree with people in power, they could imprison you one day, and they will. Well, you see, when people talk about their constitutional right to pursue happiness in the confines of their own home, you know, why should you care? Well, in a way, I don't really care. And I, by the way, I don't want the government... Of, you know, I don't want to be on CCTV with the government monitoring my every move. We don't need an Orwellian big brother government. But the question is not the pursuit of happiness, which is a very, you know, it's how we often frame it. Shouldn't it be the pursuit of holiness? So, you're in a discussion on sexual ethics, heterosexual ethics, homosexual ethics, bi, tri, whatever. What you will not hear is people saying, I'm passionate about God. I want to pursue holiness. How can I do that better? How can I be a pure virgin for Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 11? How can I do that? You won't hear that. But do we get sucked into this? Now, there is abundant evidence that all sins, all things that the Bible tells us are off limits, are destructive to us as individuals, as society. We could do classes on that. The point is to pursue holiness, not as an option, not as an extra, not as a bonus, not just for the super committed, but for the minimally committed, because it's the minimum. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Honestly, how am I doing spiritually? If that makes us uncomfortable, and sometimes that question makes me uncomfortable, then that that tells me, if my conscience isn't totally trashed, I'm not in the right place. God's designed us so we we can appreciate purity and that if we fall short of his righteous standards, we feel unclean. We can even feel a little sickened. We feel bad because we're not in the right place. So I was in the wrong place very recently. I couldn't remember where I parked my rental car and the UCLA UCLA has, has a number of car parks. At least I had the right car park, the right uh, parking lot. But I couldn't find it. And I'd come from one class going to another. I always walk very s- methodically and slowly between events. Okay, okay. So I was a bit sweaty, and I'd been looking for it for 20 minutes. And I phoned someone. One of those two, I said, didn't we park at NP1? Yes, that's where we parked. But actually, that was wrong. So I kept looking, looking, looking. Now I'm really getting panicked. I'm walking around. Have you ever rented a car? Well, some of you aren't 25, but you know what I mean. Uh, you ever rented a car, and you're, you're pushing... I just remembered it was a Ford. I thought it was a Ford. I knew it was silver. <laughs> I do try to pay attention to detail. And I'm walking around like this. Please. And I'm going everywhere. I'm going everywhere. I'm getting hot. I'm, you know, I'm carrying my computer bag. I'm, I'm dressed up pretty formally because I just taught a big class, and... I'm speaking that night to a 1,000 people. Oh, come on. Where's my car? I can't find it. I'm pushing and no lights go on. I just want, I want to see the lights come on and the horn go beep, beep. Ah, finally, yes, silver car, lights come on, click, the door open. Ah, I, I close the door, throw my bag down. It's a little dark in there. And I'm taking the keys and I'm, where is the keyhole? Where's the ignition? And I so saw there's a push button. That's funny. I've been renting this car for a few days. I don't remember there being a push button on it. <laughs> that didn't stop me. I thought, okay, you just, I remember you have to have the keys inside. Then you, That's not working. And just as I see the word Lexus, I hear a voice, uh, excuse me. <laughs> it was one of the students, I guess one of the better off students. I was this tall, bald professor type. Uh, absent-minded professor type, <laughs> you're, you're, you're in my car. I said, yeah, I guess I figured that out. He knew I wasn't the hot wiring type, you know, I, that wasn't. Uh, so, and even then, the indignity, it still wasn't my car, and I just, it still took another 10 minutes to find it. I was not where I should have been. It's not, it's an anxious feeling when sometimes we, I think, desperately, We commit to things. We say, well, this is good enough. Okay, finally, the lights came on. Okay, good. This is it. Sit down. Try to make the situation work. We have no business even being there. Well, how can we know whether we've bought into the thinking of the world or not? How do we know whether we're on the highway of holiness or not? It's not really that hard. You can read the Bible. Well, no. What you cannot do is read the Bible objectively because none of us is that objective. What I mean is... You'll read it. You'll see different things at different times. Sometimes you'll misunderstand. Generally, if you read with a pure heart, you'll, you'll absorb most of the full brunt of what Jesus is saying. But don't, don't get all holy, oh, I've discovered it and no one else has. Wisdom is in the collective. But you read the Bible. Uh, you can talk to a friend you trust, ask someone to level with you. What do you think about my life? Am I, You think I'm on the, on the narrow road or the broad road? And if they come back, well, uh, well you were baptized in this church and you come to midweeks and family group. and Is that really what it's been reduced to? I can't resist but tell you that. So I was at this this uh, meeting of, of ministers, I guess a, a few hundred, when I was in California just a few days ago. And he's, he's very funny sometimes, this guy Francis Chan, uh, emphasizing repentance, baptism, discipleship, making disciples, being involved in... Pe- But he he said, well, if if we want people to imitate us as we imitate Christ, that's great. But how do you really feel about people imitating your boldness? Do you really want people to imitate your humility, your Bible knowledge, your attitude? And he was talking to preachers, by the way. He was talking to leaders. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, in your churches, half the people can quote it, but only 1% of the people are even living the Great Commission. What good does it do to reproduce yourself if you're like that? And then, in a way, that words that were painful to me but also made me smile, he said, we don't need two of you. (laughs) I guess they don't need two of me if I'm not on the narrow road. So we're going to have to ask ourselves some tough questions. I've got a list of a few, and then I'm still not quite done. So let's jump in. Was I upset by the election or in the lead-in, the lead-up to the election? That would simply mean we put our hope in the broad road. All political parties, in one way or another, are, are on the broad road. There is no godly candidate. I mean, there's some who are less ungodly than others, but I don't even know how to rank it. I don't know how to do it. The early church, well, how did they vote? It was an empire. No voting allowed. Like a lot of your brothers and sisters in the world today. Oh, the countries may have voting. Yeah, you go to the polling station, and the sign says, vote yes, and you do, and the guy wins 99%. They didn't vote. The problem is, you identify yourself with a political party, you're automatically turning off millions of people to the gospel. Even if you have good reasons, automatically turning people off. Agreed? Oh, some of you don't like that because, well, I'm kind of involved. I think you need to rethink that involvement. Firstly, the message it sends. And secondly, what did Jesus do? What was the example of the early church what are the implications of all of this? Have we rationalized worldly behavior? Now, maybe it's just me. When I read Psalm one o one two about not putting anything unclean before me, you know, I, I want to be looking. Well, actually, there are an awful lot of verses about what we look at with our eyes, men and women. It's stunning to me. The movies I see, nearly all of which are on airplanes except for Dark Knight Rising, which I saw last week at the Dollar Theater. Um, it's amazing in the, in the movies, TV, sitcoms now, there's always the obligatory gay couple. They're always really nice people. The women lovers or the boyfriend and the boyfriend, even though it's only 2% of the population, you got to get it in there. Well, that's not my comment. We can discuss that another time. There are many ways we can sin against God. Most of them are not homosexual. They're heterosexual. Guess what? I find many brothers and sisters watch these programs, and they giggle through the gay parts. They're not even asking, is this the kind of stuff I should be watching as a Christian? Now, look, you're going to have to make your own decision. We're in the world, but not of the world. You can't quit your job because my boss used a swear word last month. Okay, you are going to figure this out, but what do we put in front of our eyes? What is the new normal? If we're on the highway of holiness, there's some things that are going to bother us. If we're not on the highway of holiness, pretty much anything goes. Have we rationalized worldly behavior? How do I look at wealth? What do we spend our money on? Are we buying things we don't need? Are we sensitive to the poor? What goes into our mouths? Eating junk food occasionally is not going to kill you. But if it's your way of life, you are destroying the temple of the body. Eating is necessary for survival. Overeating, gluttony, is a sin, which reduces our credi- credibility, hurts our conscience, causes mental lethargy. Drinking is necessary for life. Jesus turned water to wine. As I recall, six large stone water Jars. Drinking a glass of wine is one thing. What if you drank a whole water jar full of wine? Do you do that? Well, I don't really want to say in the fellowship. Do you go too far? I've been around long enough to think that that's an issue with quite a few people. Is it holy? I know there's a balance point But the balance point is not between moderate sin and great sin. Okay, I'll just be medium sinner. And it's not a balance point between righteousness and wickedness because otherwise you're just saying, I just want to be average because that's the broad road by definition. You've got to wrestle with these things yourself. What goes in my mouth? What comes out of my mouth? Profanity? Oh, no, I wouldn't swear. I use synonyms instead. I say, what the? And I use a synonym Okay, so you, it's called coarse language in the Bible. Okay, I got it. Gossip. What kind of people are we drawn to? Are we attracted to wholesome, spiritual men and women of integrity? Or is it just the fashion rags? Is it just the fashion mags? <laughs> Glamour, glitz, the gutsiness of the athletic animal who may or may not even bother to get married, but what a hunk. What am I attracted to, men and women whose hearts are on fire for God? And conversely, am I repulsed by the things of the world? A beautiful woman walks by. What would you think if I went, hot dog, look at that babe? What would you think? You'd say, well, that would be out of character for you. It would be. (laughs) Not my point. A beautiful car goes by. $110,000 car. Whoa, look at that. It may not be like that new device in Dark Knight Rising that made the whole theater rumble, but you go, man, look at that Porsche. Wow, hot dog, look at that. And now you might just think, well, that's a little immature, but no one would say that's lust. That's lust according to the Bible. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, James 4:4. We're not supposed to love the things of the world. He doesn't say you can't drive a car. You better figure out what this means, but I'm talking about the sin. What are we attracted to? What excites us, virtual worlds, shopping, <laughs> sports, or is it our mission? Is it why God left us on the planet? Should I ask more tough questions? It's probably getting too uncomfortable, so I should just go forward. I still have about six minutes, so maybe a couple more. Am I spending hours and hours in front of the mirror trying to deny the laws of gravity and aging? Everyone knows you're getting older. I know you're a year older than you were this day last year. Who are you trying to kid? Now that's not to say let yourself go to seed. Vanity is a sin seldom preached about, but it's in the Bible. The Bible talks about all these areas here, the money spent on personal appearance, and then the cheap grace theology to justify all these things. Well, holiness is for the clergy, or Jesus was holy, and I'm in Christ, therefore when God sees me, He sees holiness. Does He really? I know I'm referring to a lot of things. These are some of the verses that you'll find on that handout. But you see uh, at the websites, holiness is more than just resisting sin. Now you're a goody two-shoes. You don't do A, B, C, D, X, Y, and Z. Holiness is like Titus 2, being on fire for God. It's spiritual fervor, Romans 12. It's not being lukewarm. It's not being tepid. It's being zealous, Revelation 3. Those who cleanse themselves will be instruments for special purposes made holy, 2 Timothy 2. This means lifestyle involvement with other people. I I think I've got one of the best jobs in the world, at least on the public side. I get to do dialogues and debates and speak to colleges. I just came back from Edmonton. Almost one guest for every member. The seekers and believers are almost the same number. That's what I'm used to. That happens most places I go. Is it happening in your ministry? And it may well be, and that's great. But that public side... To get, that's a great gift. And if you have that evangelistic bent or you're an evangelist, you're in a position where you do that, you better go for it. That's so important. But just the private side, being involved with people, sharing the scriptures with people, can you do that? Do you do that? Do you share? I got so fired up on my second flight back from Canada. This guy next to me, he, he looked like Sanjay Gupta. And I thought, could he be? Actually, it, he was an MD and a PhD. He had gone to Oxford, Mayo Clinic professor in exercise physiology. We had one of the best talks. I'm not saying I didn't share with the guy on the previous flight, but it was like 5 to 6 in the morning. We were both tired, and I, I did my best. But, but this guy was, was so much more into it. Great questions, clearly seeking Said a lot of the stuff that you expect to have from from someone who's not biblically rooted, but he wasn't way off on a lot of stuff. He was right on target. I could feel myself saying, I don't care who you are, I want to share with you. And I know God is looking at me right now. What am I doing? What am I doing with this precious time that God has given me? Ask ourselves this question Am I maximizing my impact? Or am I just involved in civilian affairs? If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Christ, you know what that phrase means. You know it comes from 2 Timothy 2. You're involved in civilian affairs. Why are we this way? Why do we have to talk about it? Well, sometimes the lack of biblical teaching. So many churches today are so seeker-friendly, they don't want to offend anyone. You have to be politically correct, so you can't actually talk about specific sins. You just make suggestions about preferences. Some spiritual leaders are not involved in the mission themselves. They want their members to do it. Yeah, I work through them. I equip them. But the members don't do it because they say, I can't handle that. I'll invite my preacher to my workplace. He can't do it because he's too busy equipping the members. It's a death loop. And we lack a vision of holiness, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. Well, Douglas, you're being a bit extreme today, even more than normal. Don't you think you might get some pushback? I would be shocked if I didn't. Korah pushed back Moses. He said, Numbers 16.3, the whole congregation is holy, every one of them. How could Korah say that, Numbers 16.3? And he said, you've gone too far, Moses. You think you're better than everyone. Well, Moses did have a problem with temper. I don't think that was the issue there. And Isaiah, And Isaiah said some strong things. He gets pushed back. They say to the prophets, see no more visions. Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Please, more positive, upbeat sermons. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. That's Isaiah 30, verses 10 and 11. Can we really make this change? Is this realistic? I think so. I think you can do it. A few days ago, I had a terrible experience for me. Being late for a flight is a bad experience. This was equally bad. I lost my wallet. Ever done that? I was at Caribou Coffee. I had it on the table with my cell phone, and I was going to meet Tom Brown and Jeff Hickman. I didn't realize they were already there, so when they're there, I thought, okay. So I brought all my stuff over to the table, then I went back to get my coat, went back to the table where they were sitting. I threw my coat on top of Jeff's coat. We sat down. We had a great hour talking. Tom got up, he had to go eventually. It was time for me. Oh, I'm looking. Okay, is, is it my coat pocket? Oh, no. On the floor? Oh, I went back to the table where I was sitting. Another guy was sitting there now. I said, Did you see? anything here, like a wallet on the table? Like, obviously, if he did, he was a thief, you know, cause, or he would have turned it in. He stands up. He's looking around, going like this, kind of like, I'm clean. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have it. <laughs> maybe he knew I was getting flustered. I'm talking to the staff. I'm thinking, oh, no. Maybe, well, Tom, he got up. Maybe he, he took his, his notebook. Maybe he accidentally took my wallet. I text him. I phone him. Oh, no. He's not replying. And then he replied, I don't have it. No. Ah. And then Jeff says, Don't worry. I found it. You thief. You took my wallet. No, let me tell you what I had done. When I threw my coat on top of his coat and I put my wallet away, it was kind of like a magic trick with a hidden compartment, I put my wallet in his coat pocket. It was there the whole time. This wasn't complicated. I didn't have to call and cancel my cards. I didn't have to put up a public notice with with a reward. I didn't have to to, to use Church Link or use the North River website or tell the whole world. It was right there. All I had to do was just slow down and think. It was a logical solution, it was right there. The highway of holiness is right under your feet. It's right there. What are you going to do? You're going to be in God's Word don't do it alone. In that case, I needed a friend. I needed Jeff. Thank goodness I didn't cancel all my cards. Oh, please, I want to uncancel the cards. You can't do that. Let someone help you. Think it through. The main thing is God's holiness. He's exalted above all things, his name and his word, Psalm 138, verse 2. Don't say it's too difficult, Deuteronomy 30. It's not too difficult. His commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5. His yoke is easy. His burden is light, Matthew 11. The solution was right under my nose for us to maybe pursue holiness every day. Don't do it solo. We had a day yesterday on holiness, you know, with AIM. I appreciated those who came. It was 1% of this group. I wasn't expecting 20, but is it not true that the things of this world can crowd out opportunities that we should be grabbing to grow and to learn. Oh, brace yourself for pushback. You didn't agree with what Douglas said about this or that, do you? Oh, no. We've got to keep up with neighbors. We've got to be relatable. You better expect that. But I would urge you to drop all talk of the pursuit of happiness and replace it with a more biblical discussion of the pursuit of holiness because a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Fools will not go about on it. This highway has different names in the Bible. It's called the way of the righteous. It's called the narrow road. It is the Calvary road. They called themselves the way. It may be the Via Dolorosa. It is the highway of holiness.